It was right out here in front, of, in front of Fisher Library, one of those gorgeous spring days that pops up in the middle of January amongst the weeks of cold, dreary Kentucky winter. I had just come out of four hours of classes, and I was staring at at least four hours of homework that afternoon. And so I thought I would take advantage of the sunshine and move around the campus a little bit, walk around. But I had quickly lost hope that I'd find anybody to talk to, because as you may know, J-Term at Asbury is kind of like a ghost town. And so I just eased into one of those patio chairs, and I went rummaging through my posture-altering backpack, pulled out my Bible and my journal, and I opened up to what we just read, uh, chapter 5 of Romans. It was my daily reading. And I began to read, and as I did, I began to doodle in my journal because that's what I do to overcome my minuscule attention span. And so I read and doodled, and when I finished Romans 5, I flipped over to 1 Peter 5. I had assigned that to a young mentee that I would be talking to later, and so I began to read there, and the whole time freehand doodling, because as you know, that's what I do now uh, to overcome my minuscule attention span. And when I finished reading... I looked down at my journal, and in place of a bunch of arrows and geometric scratchings that usually mess up my journal pages, there appeared before me, miraculously, a clear and coherent drawing. So clear that I could easily see it was an illustration of what I had just read. And it was so clear that I could see embedded in it was the greatest news ever given, the gospel. And so I began to refer to this drawing as the greatest drawing ever. And as I examined it more, it became clear to me that the Holy Spirit was challenging my spirit. Challenging my spirit to move beyond simply assurance in eternal, of eternal life someday in heaven and toward abundant life here and now. I use the word challenge because I could see from the drawing that if I were going to find abundant life, there were going to be three things required. One, that I surrender humbly. Two, that I suffer patiently. And three, that I circle perpetually. Now, that will make a little more sense as we look at the drawing, which we're going to do right now, and we jump into this first idea that if we're going to find abundant life, we must surrender humbly. We believe that God has poured out on us an enormous amount of grace. Grace upon grace upon grace. God, pr primarily through the life and death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ, he has given us an enormous amount of grace. And if we will add to that just a little bitty bit of faith, there is this explosion. I mean, something amazing happens. Eternity is changed. Angels are throwing parties, right? And we have a real party name for that. We call it justification. We could probably work on the name just a little bit. And we know that what comes from that justification is that we who were separated from God because of our sin, because of what Jesus has done, we are now in relationship with God again. We are reconciled. And we know that one of the results of that reconciliation, of that relationship, is that we become a new creation. You and I are a new creation. And this is great news, this is amazing news, and we should celebrate this news. But in and of itself, it is not 
abundant life. And it's right here that the greatest drawing ever becomes a map. Go the right way, make the right decision, and you will move toward abundant life. Make the wrong decision, go the wrong way, and you will move towards a very different place. And unfortunately, you'll, you will not be alone. You will find a lot of people there, many people from the churches in which you will serve and will worship. So right here at New Creation, we have our first crossroad. We make our first decision. And there are two ways that we can go. The first is this direction over to self-reliance. It's a very popular path because we have a deep-seated desire to control our lives and because the world tells us that we ought to take charge and get her done. And so it's a very common thing that people move towards self-reliance and essentially what they do is they say, thanks God for the forgiveness, I got it from here. And they just move that direction. And we'll talk a little bit about, more about what happens over there, but essentially what it is is we have accepted the forgiveness of our Savior Jesus and we have rejected the authority of our Lord Jesus. And what is very certain is we will not find abundant life over here. We find abundant life in the other direction, this other path, which is called surrender. And it is a well-marked path by Scripture. Romans chapter 12 says, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. That first Peter chapter 5 verse, humble yourself under God's mighty right hand. Proverbs 3, in all your ways submit or surrender to the Lord, and he will make your paths straight. If we are going to find abundant life, we will have to surrender humbly. So there I was outside the library on the spring day, a 39-year-old extended learning student. About halfway through a seven-and-a-half-year MDiv program, which I think maybe they named after me because I don't know anybody else that's gone that route. I was here all alone, left my friends, my wife, my two children back in Missouri, Cape Girardeau, Missouri, now for the sixth time to take yet another class that would inch me closer to what seemed to me an arbitrary requirement that I complete a third of my classes here on campus. Do I seem bitter to you? Because, <laughs> like, I'm not bitter. I confess, I was bitter at one time. I'm no longer bitter. And here's why. Because somewhere along the way, I came to understand that all of these circumstances that I'm now whining about were completely my fault. I'm totally responsible for them. And it's because I had received a call coming out of high school. It was clear to me. I knew it. God knew it. I ran. He let me. And off I went. Thanks for the forgiveness, God. Don't think I want to be a pastor. And over to self-reliance, I ran. And just by the grace of God, after getting a chemical engineering degree and being in the marketplace for 10 years, God brought me back to that call. He brought me back to that spot in the greatest drawing ever where I could make a decision again. I had another chance to choose self-reliance or surrender. And this time, I tried my very best to do the exact same thing. I mean, I wrestled with God. I debated with God. I told him why this was such a bad idea. But after a year and a half, 
I finally surrendered humbly with this beautiful prayer. Fine, God, I will do it now. Get off my back. You think I'm exaggerating, but I literally said those words. And I can understand if you might think that's much more surrender and a lot less humbly. But this is why I love this First Peter chapter 5 verses, because there's both components. Surrender yourself under the mighty hand of God. There's some surrender, and there's a little bit of weight from that hand that helps us surrender. It reminds me of my dad when I was growing up. About every other day, we had to go to the store to buy milk because we were a milk-drinking family. And we would get to the store, and my dad just had learned that if I was with him, I was going to wind up lost in some other aisle. And so when we went into the store, he would place his hand right here on my neck. And we would walk in the store, and he would use my neck like a steering wheel. And he would guide me through the displays and aisles, back to the milk, pick up the milk with his left hand, lovingly guide me back to the cashier, pay for the milk, and off we would go. See, my dad knew for a fact that if you wanted to get the milk home on time, somebody had to submit under somebody's right hand. And we can be just as sure that if we are going to find abundant life, we are going to have to surrender humbly. We are challenged to move away from self-reliance and surrender humbly. And second, if we are going to find abundant life, we are going to have to suffer patiently. Now, that doesn't sound attractive at all, does it? That is no fun. The world tells us that we should just avoid, escape, or numb suffering anytime in any way that we can. TV preachers tell us it's not part of this equation at all. They have their own drawing. They say that when you surrender, it looks like this. You just shoot straight up to some utopian place where you have health and wealth and never a problem again in your life. Wrong. Wrong. I know that from experience, but even more importantly, Jesus says that's wrong. Jesus told his disciples, John 16, Luke 21, two things are going to be true if you surrender to me and follow me. You are going to find trouble in this world, and the world is going to hate you. And that's exactly true. Uh, It's over here in this suffering that we kind of fall into a a fishbowl or a holding tank. Right? And we find out that we still are broken people and we still live in a broken world and we are still surrounded by broken people. And all that means we're going to have heartache and pain and suffering. And it's right there in the middle of that suffering that we get our second crossroad. We can choose to go one of two ways once again. One of those ways is when a person suffers a little bit and then they say, you know, maybe God doesn't love me as much as I thought he did. Or maybe God isn't quite powerful enough to bring about what I think ought to happen in my life. Or maybe he's just a little bit busy and needs a little help with his job. Whatever we begin to think, we think, I've had enough of this suffering. Thanks for the forgiveness, God. I've got it from here. And these people move over to self-reliance and into one of the boxes here that I will call disillusionment. They say, I've got it from here, and quickly because of sickness or death or jobs or relationships or failures, they figure out very quickly, I do not have it from here. And they become disillusioned with God and frustrated with the church and resentful of the people around them. 
and they get stuck over on this side in this box and people here become sad, bitter, jealous, insecure believers who bear little or no fruit for the kingdom of God. And they certainly do not find abundant life because abundant life is found back over on this side as we suffer patiently. The Bible encourages us all the time to be long-suffering, to be patient, to wait on the Lord. It is one of those fruits of the Spirit. And why? Well, we just read why in that Romans 5 uh, verse. When we suffer, we gain endurance. And as we suffer patiently with endurance, we gain character. Our character changes. We become more like the people we were meant to be particularly around humility. And our hope shifts not to ourselves, but to the Lord, who can lift us up and will lift us up. And that's what it says in that 1 Peter 5 verse. God will exalt you in due time and at the proper time. And that's always been a problem for me. God is God, and I am not, and God gets to say when, and it's never on my schedule. And so it requires patient suffering. If, if we're going to find abundant life, we are going to have to suffer patiently. It was one o'clock in the morning and I'm balled up on my living room floor, weeping. My telephone's still in my hand. I was so angry at my son's decisions and I was so brokenhearted about the consequences that were certainly going to come his way. And I was embarrassed that I had actually asked an officer of the law to look the other direction just this once. I was broken. And two weeks later, I woke up before the sun was up and I got in my car and I drove away from the middle school camp that I was a director of. And I drove an hour to my house and I picked up my sleepy-eyed son and we drove silently to a courtroom in another county. And that morning, as camp counselors talked to other people's kids about Jesus, I got to listen to a judge talk about my son. And I watched as they put handcuffs on his wrists and they led him out a side door out of my sight. And when I could, I stood up and I got back in my car and I drove back to that camp and I gutted out the rest of the week. But as soon as I got home, I found myself back in that same living room, this time pacing angrily, fist clenched, and I was screaming at God. I have sacrificed so much for you. My family has given up so much for you. You're not supposed to let this happen. You're not doing your job. Man, I just about walked away from ministry. But a couple of days later, I found myself in the lobby of that county jail. My good friend and mentor, Pastor Johnny Thomas, an old black Baptist preacher as he described himself, was coming through those steel doors as they slammed behind him. He had just visited my son. And he came over to me and we talked about how my son was doing and how I was doing. And then he put his big hand on my shoulder and said to me, you are going to have to figure out how to be okay 
when that boy is not okay. Because the weight of your happiness on his shoulders is too much for him to bear. And you trying to change him is wringing the life out of him. He was telling me, you're going to have to learn how to not try to control this thing. And you are going to have to learn how to suffer patiently. If we're going to find abundant life, we have to suffer patiently. And third, if we're going to find abundant life, we must circle perpetually. When God exalts us, he doesn't put us up on a pedestal for other people to admire. He doesn't put a medal around our neck and tell us we're going to have comfort for the rest of our lives. What he does is he lifts people who now know they need Jesus even more than before up out of their suffering, and he gives them more of himself. He dumps us right back into his grace, grace upon grace, and seeing his goodness and faithfulness, a little bit of our faith increases, and a little more grace and a little more faith make us a little bit deeper in relationship. And we become even a newer creation. We can shine the light and the love of Jesus a little better in the world now. But once again, we come to this crossroad and we can choose once again, are we going to surrender or are we going to run towards self-reliance? And if we surrender, will we suffer patiently? And if we suffer patiently and come back around again through deeper relationship and more of a new creation, are we gonna choose it again around and around and around in this loop? By the way, we call this loop sanctification. And we, it will go on the rest of our lives if we choose to stay in that loop. But each time we have the opportunity to step out of it. By the 11th chapter of Luke, the disciples had surrendered much. They had suffered much. They had seen Jesus do amazing things. They had been through this loop over and over again. And then right there in the 11th chapter, after a particularly contentious interaction with the Pharisees, Jesus turns to the disciples and he says to them, paraphrased, look, y'all, Whatever you do, do not become like one of these legalistic jerks. Now, why in the 11th chapter does Jesus feel the need to do that? It's because he knew and still knows that a hundred times around this loop does not guarantee the 101st. And a thousand times around this loop does not guarantee another one. Because each time we come around, we have that choice again to say, thank you, God, for the forgiveness and for all the transformation. I think I have this Christianity thing figured out pretty well now. I got it from here. And down and to the right we go into self-reliance. And people that do that after a few rounds go into a different box. I call it delusion. They say, I've got it from here, I can control my life, and they actually believe it. They look around at others and they say, you know, I may not be perfect, but I'm so much more perfect than these other people that I see that I think I pretty well am there. And, you know, Jesus can fill in the cracks of whatever tiny imperfections I may have in my life. I think I've got this thing under control. And these folks get stuck and entrenched in their religiosity, and they become mean-spirited, self-righteous, judgmental believers who bear little or no fruit for the kingdom of God. And they do not find abundant life.
because abundant life is found in the circling, in this sanctification loop. Paul said it. Look, I don't worry about where I came from. I don't worry about how far I've come. I don't even care about what kind of runner I am. All I do is I look at that prize that Jesus has set before me, this abundant life in his face, and I just keep running towards it, lap after lap after lap. If we want to find abundant life, we must circle perpetually. There I was, sitting in my car outside the St. Louis airport, eagerly awaiting the arrival of Dr. Bob Tuttle, who I had gotten to know very well. I hadn't seen him in years. Uh, I covet my time with him, and so I had happily volunteered to go pick him up and drive him the two hours back to our church to preach. And Bob, being Bob, came skipping across the driveway, threw his bag in my back seat, hopped in my front seat, slapped his hands together like this and said, tell me what Jesus is doing with your soul these days. And so I started to drive away and I began to tell Bob about going into ministry and about my son, about the struggles that we'd had, about how it had drawn my wife and I closer together and how it had drawn both of us closer to Jesus, how we were different people now and how every day like, like the example of Abraham, I just tried to wake up and mentally take my son up a hill and lay him on an altar in front of Jesus and surrender him right there again that day. And I told Bob, some days I do it well and some days I don't, but I'm learning how to do it better and better all the time. After about 30 minutes, Bob paused and looked out the window at the trees going by for what seemed like a long time, but wasn't. And then he looked at me and he said something to me that I will never, ever forget, in part because it was so Tuttle, and in part because it just landed so deeply in my soul. He said, you know, you're going to spend eternity at Jesus' feet, thanking him for that boy and the man he's turned you into. It's a different way to think. But here's the thing, I will spend eternity thanking him for that boy because what I realize is my beloved son, who's doing pretty well right now, my beloved son had become the instrument God used to help me surrender and suffer and circle and to begin to find abundant life. If we're going to find abundant life, we must circle perpetually. We, we are challenged to move away from self-reliance and self-righteousness, and we must circle perpetually. Now, here's the thing. This sanctification loop isn't easy. It's messy. I mean, my drawing that day was messy. This PowerPoint is messy. It's messy to do. There's difficulties all over the place. But I can promise you this, it is so much better than getting my ticket punched to heaven and then trying to control the rest of my life for as long as I'm here. Because when I do that, I wind up delusional or disillusioned and far from abundant life. 
And I realize that it can feel like we're just running in circles sometimes. But here's the thing. If we take a third dimensional view of that uh, loop and we turn it up like this, it looks like this. So every time we're going around in that circle, we're, we're moving upward. We're moving upward towards Christ-likeness. We're moving upward towards the people we were created to be. And that journey is abundant life. And we never make that journey alone. We surrender to our Lord Jesus Christ. And we suffer in the power and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And we circle in the embrace of our Heavenly Father. If we are going to find abundant life, we're going to do it this way. And our lives can become the greatest drawing ever. Our version of the greatest drawing ever that someone else can use to find their way toward abundant life. And together we'll get there as we surrender humbly, suffer patiently, and circle perpetually. Let's pray. Before I pray, I just want to say that if you locate yourself on that map somewhere and it would be helpful for you to pray during this last song, I'll be down in the front row somewhere and there'll be others that'll jump in if we need to. Uh, Jesus, we are so grateful that you did not count it uh, a right, your equality with God, with the Father, but instead surrendered humbly and came among us, that you suffered for us, and that when he exalted you, you gave us the gift of the Holy Spirit and you walk with us each and every day of our journeys. We are people who need your help. Thank you for being with us and thank you for walking alongside us. It's in your name we pray, amen.